She's an acclaimed legal scholar with a rich understanding of constitutional law. She's a trailblazing leader, the first woman to serve as dean of Harvard Law School, and one of the most successful and beloved deans in its history. Well, it's an interesting pick uh, for a few reasons. One is that she wasn't on the Court of Appeals before being nominated, and all the other justices were. So she's coming from a very different background. Uh, I do know that as the dean of Harvard Law School, she did an exceptional job. I was out there speaking last month, and everybody we talked to attributed to her a lot of good that happened at Harvard Law School. Now, that's a different skill set than you see um, uh, for a successful justice of the Supreme Court. It'll be interesting to see how that translates. Mark Osler, a Baylor law professor who won a case in front of the Supreme Court in 2009, said that Kagan is well-respected for her stewardship of the Harvard Law School as its dean. Given the lack of appellate court experience, many say her background information is less extensive than most nominees. Says Osler, that could be a benefit to her during the confirmation process. Well, it's certainly a positive in terms of uh, her um, appro- or confirmation hearings, that there's going to be less to cross-examine her on. You know, you said this. Uh, we've seen in the last confirmation hearings how a very short statement like, wise Latino woman, <laughs> can, be, can be used over and over again uh, in, a, in the method of a cross-examination. And she doesn't have that. She does have five academic articles that she published, largely in the area of the First Amendment. And, uh, you know, I'm sure she'll be asked about that. In addition to her role as Solicitor General, Kagan is well familiar with the high court. She was selected by then-Senator Joe Biden to shepherd Ruth Bader Ginsburg through the successful hearings. On the other end of the spectrum, she was denied a spot on the Court of Appeals, a seat that eventually went to Chief Justice John Roberts. These experiences served her well as dean of the Harvard Law School, where Osler believes she showed skills that would prove valuable on the bench. Well, one skill that clearly she has is the ability to bring people together who disagree or have disagreed in the past. When she took over at Harvard, there was an incredible legacy of infighting on the faculty. And for the most part, she quelled that. In part, she did it by bringing on significant uh, scholars who were conservative, including people like Jack Goldsmith, who'd worked in the Bush administration, had played a role in some of the decisions relating to torture memos and things like that, uh, brought him in as faculty, said, this is uh, a great teacher, a great scholar that, who we need to have be a part of our community. And people accepted that. And it was a, it was a wonderful time of healing by all accounts at Harvard. Um, now, that kind of coalition building is something that's done in the court. When you have so many five, four opinions, getting people to agree with you, accommodating them, um, you know, exchanging viewpoints, and, and having a good personal relationship, it does count. And I think one thing that we're going to see over time with her is that that part of her skill set, her ability to get people who otherwise would disagree to disagree on a, or to agree on a specific point, is definitely going to play to her benefit in building coalitions on the court. An area of particular interest for Osler, head of the Association of Religiously Affiliated Law Schools, is the fact that her confirmation would mean a major change in the court's religious makeup. Not that this will come up with the confirmation hearings in a substantive way, but we do have the fact that with her nomination, we face the prospect of a court that will have no Protestants. Kagan, a Jew, would join two other Jews and six Catholics. Osler believes that the lack of a Protestant representative on the bench should not deter people against the nominee, but that the religious background should be considered more extensively down the line, as they do play a role in shaping the moral viewpoint of the people who interpret the laws of the land. Well, I don't think that's a reason to reject the the Kagan confirmation or not to confirm her. Um, But I think in a broader sense, it does say that while we've been focusing on other things, uh, it seems that 
diversity of faith has become less of an issue. And it is important, especially because the Supreme Court so often speaks in terms of principle and is called upon to do so. Sometimes um, issues of personal principle. Um, and our moral formation very often comes from our faith. Because of that, diversity of faith, I think, is an important type of diversity to look for in the court. Osler hopes that the fate of the next nominee will be considered by the president and lawmakers. Um, do I think there should be a religious litmus test? Not at all. But I do think that diversity of faith going forward from this nomination is something that should be explicitly a part of the equation and what's considered and discussed. You can hear continuing coverage and analysis of the Elena Kagan nomination here on 103.3 FM with more from Osler as the confirmation process begins. For KWBU News, I'm Derek Smith.